are listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. My name is Jennifer Benke and I am the Associate Director here. I am thrilled to be able to present to you conversation with Paul Jarzembowski. He's the Associate Director on the staff of the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and he works in Washington, D.C. Because of that, our conversation took place over Zoom and I had to choose which of our microphones would get preference and I chose Paul's microphone to the detriment of my own. So listeners, I ask you to bear with me as sometimes it seems like I'm talking over him because of the lag. And then a few times it sounds like I'm speed talking and had way too much coffee before our conversation. So I think it's really a great opportunity to think outside the box for evangelization and how we reach people who we really want back to connect with church. And I'd love Paul to introduce himself because I do enough talking on this podcast. <laughs> it's so good to be with you. Um, yeah, I'm Paul Jarzembowski. I have been working at the U.S. Bishops Conference in Washington, D.C. for the past 10 years. I'm a native of the greater Chicagoland area, originally from the Diocese of Gary, Indiana, born and raised. Uh, and I've worked at the Archdiocese of Chicago, the Diocese of Joliet in my 20, probably 23 years of ministry uh, in, in the church. And so uh, my role, role at the USCCB, I'm the associate director of the laity. And within that portfolio uh, are all things related to lay ministry, lay apostolates, lay movements, uh, as well as youth and young adults. Wonderful. And that's how we met last week when you were up in Newark and you were speaking at the youth and young adult ministry workshop that we had at our retreat center. Yeah, so. it was wonderful to be with you there. It was wonderful to be with uh, all those pastoral leaders uh, looking to serve our young people. I know you travel a lot. You get to speak to a lot of uh, ministers out in the in the world. If you wanted to say something to those of us who are local or or, or in the in the vineyard, any words of wisdom that you've picked up? <laughs> sure. Uh, one of the things that I think that in terms of the ministry with young people, really just being open to the the prophetic and protagonistic spirit of young people, and uh, and really allowing that energy to uh, come forth to the church. That's been for me a very strong thing that I've learned over the last couple of years is just the protagonism uh, of young people uh, and how their energy and their enthusiasm for the faith can teach us great and valuable things. So I think if I had a kernel thing to share, that's something that for me continues to be present. Even since I talked to you, I've had a chance to engage with other ministry leaders in that uh, engagement of the of, of young people as protagonists continues to shape and guide my uh, my work. So that's wonderful. I you and I both share the Star Wars fan uh, oh, yes. appellation. So the the image of letting ev the 
students be the Luke Skywalker in the story, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, it has it, it's such a resonance. Although somebody recently came up to me and said that they preferred perhaps a Lord of the Rings analogy, perhaps. Um, and perhaps that is more apt, you know, in the sense that it's a, it's a journey, it's a fellowship, it's uh, it's it's the, the younger and the older generations uh, journeying together in a way. Uh, maybe that's a better analogy, but either, either way, um, really having that protagonism of the young person to really let them take that uh, that lead in our church, in our communities, and then getting the Lord of the Rings reference in, who are you journeying with? You know, who are the elders? Um, and um, yeah, technically, I guess I guess Frodo would be like the uh, the young person, uh, but you need your Gandalfs there as well, um, and you need your uh, your Aragorns and, and and you know and all those others that uh, kind of help guide the fellowship along. So uh, so the, the community needs to work together. It's a community on a journey, as Pope Francis says. I'm very excited for this addressing these generations, the millennials and the Gen Z, and how do we, we empower them and allow them to really minister with us instead of ministering to them, but minister with us and giving them leadership roles and giving them agency and within our parishes. In light of that, we we started a conversation and you generously gifted me your recent book, Hope from the Ashes. Can we talk about this? Absolutely. Let's talk about it. It's, okay. We're getting, we're getting towards Lent. Might as well talk about Lent. First off, one thing that really resonated with me first was that everything you write about, you start with the word and you even include in the back the the, the readings, the readings of Ash Wednesday. So I'm coming from a liturgical ministry background. I'm, I've been a music minister in parishes for a very long time. And so I'm in that unique position of often being one of those people that sees crowds come and go four to six to eight times in, in a 24 hour period. And so I rely on the word of Christ to get me through and, and to really make sure that my heart isn't hardened, right? The uh, You use that analogy in here, but also um, uh, the way in, in which I create a new heart, a clean heart. I know we now sing, be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. But the prior response before 2010 was create a clean heart in me, O God, right? So every time I see new people, renew my spirit within me, right? So that was something that really spoke to me about this. When you were writing, how did you kind of conceptualize the writing and, and that sort of thing to, to really make it speak? Yeah. Well, you know, it, I think the origin of really of this is just the observation uh, every year, you know, I mean, Ash Wednesday comes around every year uh, and every year um, I remember sitting each, each, each Ash Wednesday and seeing the crowds uh, that are in there. Many faces I did not know, kind of cramming my way into the into the pew uh, that on a normal given Sunday was a lot, I had a lot more arm space and, you know, uh, more personal space, but on Ash Wednesday, it really didn't. But then I thought to myself while listening to those readings, how is what they're hearing resonating? And, you know, both to the person who's maybe coming for the first time in a while, or for me, who who's there every Sunday. I really started thinking about it. Um, in my work with young adults through the years, 
when I work with young adults, I look at a lot of data points and stuff like that. It's always, there's all, everybody's got a study. Everyone's got done research on young people. Um, there's probably more research done on, on younger generations than, you know, than there's libraries big enough to fill all that stuff. It's, it's just everyone studies them. So I'm constantly looking at the trends and religious affiliation of young people just to see how things are going and what new insights we're getting every, every year when they study young people. And, I found it interesting that the one anomaly in all of this was that every, as, as every data point went downward, the sloping downward, oh, there's not that many people coming to church anymore. Sunday worship, uh, engagement in parishes, just the trajectory was always on a downward slope. But there was one exception to that. And and, and, it, and it stops you in your tracks because you're so used to seeing the trend lines go in a certain direction. And that was around Lent. Lent goes in the opposite direction. It, you know, young people who are younger are sometimes more engaged than even older generations are in the Lenten season. And that stopped me going, wait a minute, why is this line going in a different direction than every other line? And so it kind of, but then I, I sat there and I thought to myself, but what, Paul, every Ash Wednesday, you notice that the churches are filled with people more than you can count. So it shouldn't surprise us, but yet, you know, and every time I, I raise this up to people, they're like, well, oh yeah, that's true. But sometimes I think when we get on Ashman, I know I've been this way, Lent is a very inward focused season. And so we think about our own experience. We don't stop to think of how communal this day has become. And so it's maybe sometimes difficult to think, oh yeah, I guess I don't know these people and what an opportunity. So for me, that's how I came to really write this book is collecting that experience and thinking, what can we do about this? The theory is wonderful. I love theory. I love this. Obviously, I love the data. It's great. But then at the end of the day, what really matters is what can we do about it? So, um, so my book was both a, hey, by the way, this is happening. And then the second part of the book is really, so what are we going to do about it? Um, and so, right. um, so I really wanted to write uh, that experience as well. Yeah, I think I think you handled it perfectly in that standpoint. I found it very practical, especially when you get into the beyond the ashes part in terms of going, Okay, how do we build this out? But I especially appreciated in the very beginning, I think it was in the very first part where you really kind of tackle your own almost like annoyance with the people that show up, right? Because that's that's an experience. Like I said, I've, I've been a liturgical minister for so long that, you know, it's like, oh, where are you people? Like 364 other days of the year, like, come on, folks, like, and and you get that, that, um, that like, oh, it's never going to change. They're only going to come for the freebies, right? Some people call them ashes and palms Catholics or, yeah. or creasters. I mean, we have these words and it, that is that in a way, a hardening of our hearts, right? Because we're not asking the questions like, so what is it that brings them back? And I really, I've struggled with Ash Wednesday for a long time, I've inwardly. And so this was very refreshing to me as someone who toils often and, and long hours, um, especially you even say like, your your frontline workers, your your pastors, your pastoral staff, they're going to need care because they're they're turning around so many people, but that, um, you know, you give practical tips for for the ministers as well on how to keep yeah. their hearts open then. Yeah, I and it's it's true. We've I you know, I, it, many, many of us have probably been in that situation that, you know, um, I, it you know, to me. 
and, and I think where I, I where I know in prayer, the, the, the parable that always would kind of come back to me would be the, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, you know, and, you know, here I am going, you know, like, look, I've been going to, I've been here, Lord, I've been working in this church for how long? And the person that shows up once a year, you mean they get the exact same grace that you gave me, even though I've been working and God saying, yep. Yep, that's it. That is that is exactly the point. And so it it has made me go, okay, you know, it's not it the, the grace of God is is boundless. And so um and you know, and, and just the fact that it also kind of softened my approach and thinking, okay, so what's their story? There was a TV show on a couple of years ago called Lost, you know, and I know many people liked it and stuff like that. But one of the things that was always fascinating about that particular show is that every episode was a different story of how someone got to the island. Um, and it really looked back. And, you know, it's fascinating that the person you sit there and go, oh, these people, they're so annoying to me right now. But what's that story that led them there? Where is the pain? Where is the struggle? Um, and everyone's got a story. So I always think to myself, so now when I look at Ash Wednesday, I sit there and I go, what's their story? Like if we could if, if, if we could have an episode where we could, you know, go back and learn, how did you get to here? I, I, I what a what a wonderful thing. And I don't have to wait for it. I don't have to imagine it. Like if I can actually uh, if I get out of myself on Ash Wednesday, if I get out of myself in Lent, um, maybe I'll learn that story. Um, and what a captivating thing. But the tapestry of stories that comes to us on Ash Wednesday, and it, you know, it, it shatters that kind of coldness that sometimes I, I know I've had. And so now every Ash Wednesday, I kind of, I know on Ash Wednesday, we're supposed to be kind of, you know, it, it's a season of penance and so, but I wake up excited every Ash Wednesday because I'm thinking some like somebody I'm going to meet somebody that I've never met before today. I'm going to have an encounter that's going to transform me. And I'm so looking forward to that. Maybe I'll have more than one, but at least I know because there's going to be so many new faces there that I'm going to have that opportunity today to, to learn another person's story. And that's exciting. So a little bit of joy on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> It can't all be between the porch and the altar. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, one of the other things I really, I, I love about this book is that you begin and you step up to the challenge and you have these, you identify with real stories, the real stories of why people come back on Ash Wednesday. And I think you've got seven of them, right? Seven. I don't want to go through them all. People are going to have to buy the book to get it. But that's the that's the first part. But in the back, you give like exactly beyond the ashes, how we take those seven realities that we've outlined. And then you say, how do we build this out to a church that is really thinking about these people and their stories in for the long term? And I thought that that was really important, especially, you know, we're having this conversation a week or so before most churches are just are, are going to experience uh, Ash Wednesday this year. But so like, even if people pick up the book this year and they start to read it, like how do the, the, the thought of like, this is, this is a more long-term, it's a way of thinking about those people who come back and that I really appreciate it. First of all, if I was going to write a book and I have to list things, I figure I might as well go with a good biblical number. Um, because I <laughs> yeah. really, to be honest with you, the the reasons why people reconnect on on Ash Wednesday or throughout the season of Lent, I mean, there's there's as many reasons as there are people, um, but there are a couple of common threads, and those seven threads to me kept 
popping up in the stories that I would hear, I'd kind of fall under one of those seven categories, but that they're not exhaustive or exclusive, but those seven were just kind of good points. Like, okay, if we're going to let's, let's, let's explore maybe seven reasons why. And then as I, as you noted, like, okay, so if that's why they come, if that's why they reconnect for Lent, how can we tap into that reason for the rest of the year? Because one of those seven is not that I like free dirt on my head. That is not one of the seven reasons. Uh, so we don't have to worry about giving ashes every other day of the year to get people to come. There are other deeper reasons why people come. And we can do that any time of year. It's just in Lent, we seem to do it a little. It, sometimes it comes more naturally. Sometimes the season kind of lends itself to it. So it's uh, it, it's sometimes easier for us as a community to, uh, to, to do programming or do ministries around that. But these wouldn't work any other time of year. And in fact, you know, I, I talk about other moments of return you know, we talked about Christmas and Easter, of course, um, but, you know, there's also Our Lady of Guadalupe, um, is particular prominent, especially within the Hispanic Latino community. Um, weddings and funerals and baptisms are moments of return for many people. Um, and some of those reasons why they come on Ash Wednesday are often the reasons why they come for those other. It's just expressed in a different way. But yeah, I, I certainly don't want people to just, um, and, and, and actually just a note about this, like, even if you pick up this book during the season of Lent, actually, the, the interesting statistic is that while about 40 to 50% of self-identified Catholics will be going to church on Ash Wednesday, which may sound small, but the, but recognizing that about 15 to 25% is the normal, uh, Sunday engagement. So that doubles on Ash Wednesday. Well, on the Fridays of Lent, it actually gets even higher that that almost 60 to 65 percent of self-identified Catholics will be fasting from meat on Fridays. Um, and, you know, a, a significant amount will be giving something up for the season or uh, doing something positive for the season. Um, and these are including a lot of young people, especially who are disaffiliated from the faith. So um, so even throughout the season of Lent, it might not be as visible. But if you think your churches are crowded on Ash Wednesday, just think it's even there's even more people who are joining you in giving up meat on Fridays. So there's right. something to this season. So um, people are there's that there's that liminal space throughout the whole 40 days of Lent that I think people are drawn to. Um, and so um, so even if you miss Ash Wednesday, um, even, you know, I always say, you know, especially if you have like a if you have a here's a very practical tip i always tell like for instance um on on fridays and lent um you might every on a couple of the fridays of lent if you have a son or daughter who maybe is less active in their faith but they used to be active but they're not as much maybe on fridays and lent give them a call send them an email um to just you know and and, and that maybe connect you know in in the conversation you know you might have a conversation about, hey, so, you know, you know, you know what, are you, what are you eating for dinner tonight? You know, I mean, it could be a simple conversation like that, just to kind of remind them of that. And and maybe they might already be like, yeah, that's, I, I know I got to, we're going for, for pizza or pasta tonight, or we're going, we're going to the fish place or something like that. Right. Um, and so that might trigger you know, I went to McDonald's today and I got the filet of fish instead of the, you know, <laughs> the quarter pounder or whatever it is, you know, so whatever, uh, th that could be a very interesting thing that throughout the season of Lent, um, Fridays are very sacred, even for people who don't go that regularly. It's, it's something that's embedded in us as a Catholic culture. So, 
So that's a long answer right. to your short question there. So no, but that's that's great. I I also like there are a couple other things that really stuck out to me of of, of ways that we could incorporate throughout the forty days. Uh, you you mentioned like maybe. Uh, you know, if if you're upset that your kids or somebody in your family is not engaged with the church, you could pick 40 people you're going to pray for. And I thought like, wow, what if like just here in the in the chancery, like if I picked one person every day in the chancery to pray for, you know, like that would be just be such a grace to me and hopefully for them like, like that, that would give. But without them knowing, obviously, but. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe God would give them a little extra boost that day. Yeah, but, it's, and- it's, it's, I know that people, and, and, and I, I talk to a lot of people who um, kind of beat themselves up around the fact that like, if they, if their children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews are maybe when they were younger, were active in the faith, but maybe now aren't. And it can be this kind of sense of, oh, what did I do? Did I fail? Did I, you know, and the end and, um, so first of all, letting people know that that no matter where they are, maybe somebody somewhere is going to be able to accompany their grandson, their granddaughter, their son or daughter. Um, and we can do the same for someone else's. Like like if if during the season of Lent, if we are accompanying, praying for or reaching out to somebody who's less active, we're doing a service not just for them, but for their mother, their father, their grandparents who are praying for them. So if everyone could, you know, like, pray for your help somebody else's you know child or grandchild uh you know the, their adult children through this season of lent uh imagine if everyone was doing that you can rest assured that as a community of faith someone is taking care of your son and daughter this lent uh your grandchildren this lent um because if we all commit to doing something for someone else's maybe that'll happen for us as well so that is kind of a dream and a hope that you know we can we can do this. And, it, you know, we may say, you know, oh, my son or daughter, I, I don't know what to do with them, but but maybe someone else is taking care of them. And then, you know, maybe if we just kind of collectively do that, that can make a difference. I think so. I I know that sometimes I can drive a little aggressively. My kids tell me that too. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> but um, I know that when, uh, like, at the after school time, when then there's a whole bunch of new drivers on the road, I tend to be a little bit more relaxed because I, I know that I don't want to put them in danger. And I also don't want to cut them off because they'll cut someone else off and they're not as okay. It's New Jersey. We have traffic. I know you, you <laughs> don't know anything about traffic in DC, but, um, but that's no. something that, uh, so, but I have seen that like when I'll let somebody else go in front of me and then the next intersection, they let someone else in that it, it, like you can see it like an additive yeah. effect and you can all, cause you can also see it when you're aggressive, someone else is aggressive and then it gets the aggressive ramps up. So like putting out those little blessings um, by accompanying somebody else in the, in the church, even if it's not the person you want to be there, but yeah. like you can be the welcome that someone else is not, is going to get. And that adds to the community that really spoke to me too. That was the other part I was going to bring up. <laughs> so if, if I can, I'm going to read a one pair. Well, it's kind of long, but a, one paragraph that you uh, have in the chapter four, you've got 
second page of the Ash Wednesday experience here, that what if paragraph, because I'm, I'm a musician, I'm an artist, that's where I live, right? And, and so like the what if is always that, what if we could do this, right? And sometimes when we work in church, we, we see how slow things, it doesn't always move as quickly as we want it to move dynamically. But, um, you know, but these what if questions, I think are really important for everybody in our listenership and in the archdiocese and pastors and, and lay people and ministers and just someone praying in the pews to just think about. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to read. What if on Ash Wednesday, a newcomer were greeted warmly at the door when they arrive or when they walk up to a minister? If they're if they are in a church, perhaps they are escorted to an available seat by a friendly usher. Just maybe in that instance, when they sit down, the person to their right or left might engage with them in light conversation or at the very least offer a friendly smile and introduce themselves. What if as the service begins, the space, the music and the prayers all gave the visitor a profound sense of rest and refreshment what if a sermon reflection or homily caused the newcomer and a reg and the regular churchgoer alike to experience a wondrous mix of comfort insight and challenge what if everyone in the church that day truly felt connected to one another as they all received ashes together and what if at the conclusion of that moment a newcomer wanted to stay around even longer perhaps everyone who received ashes that day was excited to come back again what if that's just so to me it's just like yes that's what if you know and and i know that um we have 220 some odd parishes here in the archdiocese of newark and almost 1.4 million self-identified catholics like but they're not all coming at mass but what if what if we took that those moments and we really said how are we going to accompany these people how are we going to well welcome them and make them feel like they belong and they can find the rest from everything outside this building, mm -hmm. that this is the place of sanctuary that and belonging that they're craving. Yeah. In some respects, Lent and Ash Wednesday are a what if for the, that we do for the rest of the year, you know, like we're like, what if our churches were filled? Like, that's the question we ask first. We always, for the rest of the year, we're always like, what, what if our, our churches are filled? So right. in a way, I kind of look at it, God saying, all right, I got you on this. Um, so Ash Wednesday, here's that the first what if comes true. Um, our churches are filled. But then that's that's only that, 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 that dreaming of full churches is only the first step of evangelization the because in order for something to truly take root the experience they have that day has to be something that goes because it's the, the, we call it moments of return and you know and it's very momentary um, because if if during that experience there's not a, a compelling reason for them to come back then great we had the numbers but do we have the lasting impact? And so the encouragement, of course, is what if on that day they had, they not only came, but they had an experience that reminded them, ah, this is why I do come once a year. This is what's special. This is what's memorable. That uh, the welcoming spirit, the homily, the music, the, the 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 invitation that's there, even just the smiles, you know, um, you know, I mean, people are it's amazing how just a simple act of smiling at a stranger and maybe even engaging in light conversation can go a long way. So 
like I said, the first what if was what if they came? Right. Okay, check that box. Now, what if they stay? And that is totally yes. dependent on us. Um, and because oftentimes the reason why they don't stay is totally dependent on us too, um, because that's sometimes they're not rejecting. You know, one of the things, especially in my work with young people, most young most people who are disconnected don't reject Jesus. They don't reject the faith. What they struggle with the most is their encounters with with us. Um, and that's often what drives them away is not, it's not Jesus. It's not the faith. It's not the, it's not the doctrines of the church is not what it's often their engagement with people who claim Jesus as their Lord. And so yes. if their engagement with us is a positive one, that what if can possibly come true. So yeah, thank you for, for reflecting on that because it is kind of a, a, a journey into imagination of sorts. We have to dream big. And, and I think Ash Wednesday is an opportunity and the whole season of Lent is really a season to dream big, you know, what if? Um, and yeah. as I said, it kind of turns a, a kind of a sorrowful season into, dare I say, a season of joy. And a season, well, maybe maybe perhaps maybe, maybe hope, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. that something good can happen. That idea that you said about very few people reject Jesus. I know you said that on Thursday night when we were at the, at the mm -hmm. youth ministry conference, but you also later in your in the book say uh, rather to truly gain a person's trust our motives must be pure and our hearts must not be hardened we reimagine our approach on ash wednesday and lent and throughout the year because we want to enter into a relationship with other travelers along the road and and you say like it we can't have ulterior motives right it's it's yeah. got to be about jesus and i like that what if can't be about well what if they all brought 20 bucks with them, right? Exactly. When they walked in the door, right? No, like that, that can't, that may solve some of our problems, but that doesn't solve the problem of yeah. why they're not here, you know, and we have to really focus on the, the mission of the church is the evangelization and the bringing people into a, a conversion moment and, and, and a, a lifetime of, of reconverting. <laughs> because I think relationship that, that you want to build with a person is because you genuinely want to, you want to you want to get to know them and you want to get to know them. You want to know how Jesus is already active in their lives and what more do they need of Jesus in their life? That's what really is key. Um, I think, you know, we want you to, you know, join our parish. You want you to register for our parish. That's what we really like. If that's if that's your motive, it's going to be sniffed out, really, especially younger people will sniff that out immediately. Like you just want me. You just want to count me as one of your as another check mark on how big your parish is. If that's the motive, then yeah, they'll sniff that out. So it, we have to re in part of good engagement before and during Lent is kind of checking ourselves and going, what is it that I, you know, like, why is it that I want people to come to church? Is it because, you know, I want to see our pews filled or is it just, be or is it because I want people to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and I want them to recognize Christ already present in their lives. If that's the motive, that's good motive. And, but checking ourselves and wondering, so half of it is, is our actions, but the other half is, is, is also the internal reflection. We need to, you know, prepare our hearts for Ash Wednesday, for Lent, for the, for this, this uh, phenomenon to kind of unfold before us. Yeah. 
I think that's really important. And it, it brings us back to those readings, right? Those readings that you, yep. you use as the outline of the of, of all of our thoughts about this is that, you know, Christ is really calling us to convert as a people to be the, oh, yeah. the people he needs us to be to the world. Yeah, this yeah. kind of, I, I find it fitting, so fitting that the first reading for every Ash Wednesday, which by the way, never changes from year to year, we always get the same readings. So the reading from Joel, you know, is really reflecting on that that return of the exiles. Um, you know, the prophet Joel was returning, was was wondering when the exiles return to Jerusalem, what will that experience be like? So here we have a day where the exiles of sorts are returning to a Jerusalem of sorts. They're returning to this place of the sanctuary. And so, you know, so Joel's reading is very apt for a, a day when that happens. And then Paul's reading kind of, I, I love Paul's reading because he's, he's now talking in a way to us as more active churchgoers saying, we need you to be ambassadors for Christ, you know, and to not receive, you know, the St. Paul's passage, do not receive the grace of God in vain. You know, like you have, like in a way, this Ash Wednesday and throughout the season, you've been given a grace. And that grace is the, the fact that your prayers have been answered. You know, our churches are filled. Are you going to receive that grace that God has given to us in vain? Like, are you going to be like, well, you know, are you going to get angry at the fact that God answered your prayer and go, you know, what the heck, God? I, well, why are all these people here? Like, well, God's like, you asked for it. <laughs> you know, so don't receive that in vain. You know, uh, you know, don't be mad at them. You, you've been begging for this all year long, and here it is. So receiving, and so in a way, the second reading, you know, really kind of is Paul's kind of admonition to active Christians uh, to saying, okay, now be ambassadors of Christ. And what, how can you be Christ to that person today? The readings are very, it's, it's, I think it's wonderful uh, that those are the readings that the church has chosen for us to listen to because as year after year, it's like, oh, okay. I hear what you're saying, God. Thank you. Right. You know, so. <laughs> if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. as, as the, as the cantor, right? Yes. Yeah. As the cantor, I'm, how many times have I sung that in front and been like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> not my heart. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Those are really important uh, words uh, from my, my perspective to really hear and to allow to kind of seep into who we are as church, as we we try to make these changes and 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 the why we're making the changes and that how it constantly be reflecting on how can we you know break open our hearts more and more to god to allow him to make up what we lack obviously some of us lack a lot more than others <laughs> so this has been great i don't want to take too much of your time i'd like for you like super practical what should i what should my pastors what do they need to know their ministers about this Ash Wednesday. Yeah. So if this Ash Wednesday, maybe it's, it's the, the before, during and after experience of that, of that whole thing. So like, as they enter as a, you know, so making sure that there are people at, at your doors on Ash Wednesday, like greeting people and, and not just to logistically tell them like, okay, go here, you go there, but to really give them a sense of welcome. So making sure that you have a, a, a crew 
on hand at the door, holding the door open, smiling, even walking with them to the seat. Don't just point, oh yeah, this is the way to the pews, but walk with them to the seat. That that's a, I mean, that's a simple way to just start up a conversation. So that way you're like, oh yeah, let me let me let me guide you there. You know, like you know, you want to sit in the back, no big deal. I'll walk you to the back row, but that's fine. Um, but you know, walking with them, you know, having people there. And then in terms of the during, you know, make sure that the the homily, the music is just like it, it's an experience of the transcendent. And whatever one does in any sort of whether it's a personal conversation or a homily, don't guilt anyone or make anyone feel already a little more damaged than they already feel walking in there. Many people who don't come that regularly are well aware of their habits. No need to make a joke of it. No need to to be flippant about it. Um, they're aware. They know they're imperfect and all that. It's that it's it's probably best to really showcase that love of God. And then the final thing is afterward. You know, maybe see if there is something uh, you can do afterwards. Like so like if you've got several masses or prayer services for Ash Wednesday, you know, is there perhaps like at one of the one that's that you're going to get a huge crowd at, like your 7 p.m. Wednesday mass. Afterwards, consider doing a little soup supper, um, a gathering, you know, it doesn't have to be long, but something, you know, because people aren't racing back like Christmas or Easter to open presents or anything like that. Um, people after that mass or service, um, they may have, you know, they can maybe give you a like 30 extra minutes for something and to really invite people to come by and to 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 meet other people and to have that be a wonderful opportunity for uh for fellowship so um so the, make that whole experience uh just phenomenal for that person thank you that's wonderful advice i really appreciate it so um before we go i usually close with a prayer we didn't begin with it but i'd like to close with a prayer and i always love the psalms so I was just going to read the psalm for Ash Wednesday, unless you want to. Would you like to? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy. I've got my. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So good and gracious God, we call upon your, your, your name and we listen to your words in the psalms. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness and the greatness of your compassion wipe out my offense, thoroughly wash me from my guilt and of my sin, cleanse me. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have for sinned. We have sinned. For I acknowledge my offense and my sin is before me always. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Be merciful, O Lord, for we have sinned. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. Be merciful, O Lord, Lord, for we have sinned. Give me back the joy of your salvation, and a willing spirit sustain in me. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. Be merciful, O Lord, Lord, for we have have sinned. Thank you so much, Paul. Amen. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. And have a holy and happy and blessed Lent. Yes, yes. Have a happy Ash Wednesday, happy Lent. You know, make it happy because you're going to meet some incredible people that day. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much. Thank you.
Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at Heart of the Ark. Fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E R I C, Hunter, H U N T E R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.